0: and welcome back to favorite things uh and this week slight change of plans uh we're trying to get in all the theatrical releases of both ghostbusters and the spider-man franchise and we saw that we were going to be a week or two short so occasionally we're going to combine features so this week we're combining ghostbusters one and two uh kind of a sweet and sour sauce if you will um but we'll be talking about that we're briefly going to touch on some other things we've enjoyed this week uh before digging into our main topic but uh if you're just now uh joining us thank you we've got a whole back catalog of episodes that are just as bad as this one if not worse um if you are on a major podcast service and itunes a spotify uh pardon me uh, Apple Podcasts. They changed their name uh, a bit ago. Oh. Uh, if you are on any uh, podcast app like that, please give us uh, the highest rating possible. And if you don't like us, please just forget you ever listened to us and delete <laughs> us from your feed. Um, remember well enough that you didn't like us, but, but please don't leave a record out there.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, anyhow, um, yeah, this week was actually a really good week. Uh, a nice palate cleanser after Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man yeah. 3 is just kind of that movie that is just kind of depressing. It yeah. just it leaves a sour taste in your mouth. But uh, this week was a much better week overall leading into this film. And maybe last week's week might have even painted uh, Spider-Man 3 into a darker corner. <laughs> uh, for as bad a movie as it is, the the week might have painted it. This week was a really good week. Uh, two things I wanted to touch on were, uh, first of all, last night we found another uh, pizza chain that is, uh, I believe, nationwide. Uh, Marco's yeah. Pizza uh, that does serve gluten-free crusts.
1: Yeah, that's been our favorite Pizza chain for a while and then I had to go gluten-free and for we couldn't they didn't seem to have gluten-free crust for a while until we looked last night. So
0: so if if you are a listener who has dietary restrictions such as uh a a gluten intolerance, yes. uh I would recommend uh Marcos. Now I will say this with, with a caveat: this is not a gluten-free pizza, just because it is prepared in the same area. As other yeah. uh, items that do have gluten. Yeah. So if you have a severe gluten allergy, you probably want to look elsewhere. Yeah, but
1: they can't guarantee that it's gluten free. They do their best.
0: But. Yes, if if you are similar mm-hmm. to Betsy and you've just got a light intolerance, and it's it's enough to give you a headache, but that's that's kind of it. Uh, My recommendation is give it a try. Uh, It's a little bit chewier crust than most of the other places we do it. It's a slightly larger pie. Yeah. Uh, Most places you can only get a small gluten-free crust. This is a full medium pizza. And I
1: felt like I was eating real pizza. It was still thin crust, which all of them so far have been thin crust. Yes. So it was still the thin crust, but I felt like I was actually eating a pizza and not just some sort of... Kind of a crackerish type thing with yeah. pizza toppings.
0: We'll be having leftovers over the next day or two, and we'll let you know how those reheat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Most pizza is best reheated in a toaster oven. Uh, if you're a microwave pizza person, uh, gluten free, that's and not the way to cold. reheat it. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, we found that this week. I was really glad to get back to Marco's. We've we've had some other good pizzas um, where we can get a gluten free option, but Marco's, I was really grateful to see that they had that option available yeah
1: it was i really enjoyed it i was craving a good pizza and i was like well let's see when you decide to look and see if Mark has had one yet and and they may have had it the whole time but we've just overlooked that i don't know it yeah just...
0: <laughs> it's very specific if you're not ordering a if you're not ordering a medium pizza it doesn't even pop up as a, as a possibility yeah. on crust so you have to specifically order a medium pizza in order to be able to, to order that. They call it gluten friendly. Yeah. So. But
1: it was good. Um, it did not leave me with a headache. A few weeks ago I decided to eat a donut from our favorite donut place. Yeah. And I paid for that for a full week. So I have learned very quickly the limits of the gluten intolerance is it's not worth a headache. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how good it was for two minutes.
0: Yeah, don't don't hurt yourself if, yeah. if you're hurting yourself by quote unquote enjoying things you're probably not fully enjoying them you might yeah. want to make other arrangements to enjoy things um,
1: uh, now I need to find some place that has a good donut <laughs> that's gluten free that's you know
0: we've, we've got some decent leads we'll, yeah. we'll check some out and report back as we find them but on top of that, we also on our bi-weekly uh, date nights uh, went uh, and to dinner and a movie. Uh, we've been wandering our way through the Cheesecake Factory menu, uh-huh. uh, finding the gluten-free options for you and just interesting pairings for me. Yeah.
1: Um, I love the so far that we've, so we've been twice now since I've been gluten-free, and we've had the same server both times. Yes, the first time she was like super friendly and very helpful. And so when we went on um, Thursday night and I was in my head, I was like, I really hope we get her again, but I couldn't remember her name to request her. And so then when she came up to greet us and she looked at us like, wait a minute, I know you guys. You're trying to figure out how she knew this. I'm like, Yeah, you waited on us about a month yeah. ago. If if and you're she-
0: a if you're a friend in the greater middle Tennessee area and you're gonna be going to yeah. the Cool Springs uh, cheesecake factory, uh, contact us directly yeah. and we will let you know her first name so you can request her. She was very Kind and speedy, and oh, yeah. always on top of it. Uh, easily one of the best service professionals oh, yeah. I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah. So she
1: was she was great, and she was just as great the second time. And I knew what I want going in the second time. So and it was labeled gluten free. So yeah. She just she's like I'm just gonna make sure I tag this for you just to make sure they don't accidentally cross contaminate. And...
0: Yeah. The last time I had the uh, the buffalo blasts and a beer. This time I had uh, a cuban sandwich and a mojito and honestly their their food and drinks are are really good especially for a chain restaurant with a menu as large as yeah. theirs i i never cease to be impressed by how well they pull it off across board i haven't had anything that wasn't at the very least very good yeah yeah
1: I had their um chicken tacos from the skinny licious menu. hmm Um, I had that plus uh it came with the, what was it called? An Esco- escoviche?
0: escoviche?
1: Um salad, which was really good. It was like there was cucumber, um cauliflower and carrots. So I can't remember what there's any I think there's some onion in there too. Mm-hmm. But it was like a Mexican pickled vegetable, and it was delicious and refreshing. Yeah. So especially going alongside with those uh, the spiciness of the tacos, um, it was really good. And I had a cosmopolitan to drink with it that was uh, from the Skinnylicious menu as well, and it was delicious.
0: Yep. So uh, on top of all that, we went and saw Eternals. Um, not gonna give any spoilerific. Uh, thoughts on that. Just going to give a briefest of brief overviews. Um, it's easily the strangest, most diverse Marvel film to date. It's very, very out there. If <laughs> if you're into that, if, if you're out to... If you're into... An experience that is going to make you scratch your head, even if you're a comic fan, uh, you you might enjoy it. Some people have very strong opinions in the negative. Some people have very strong opinions in the positive. For me, I I enjoyed my experience, especially in Dolby. Uh, mm-hmm. That seems to be where we primarily see most of our films these days. Yeah. Um. But I I can't wholeheartedly recommend it and i i certainly not gonna say it was a bad movie because it's it's one that it's hit or miss you may love it you may hate it Mm -hmm. uh your your mileage may vary uh it was it was very interesting uh it when i say diverse i mean diverse Mm -hmm. every every uh Not every, but there was a wide variety of nationality. There was, um, it was first, uh, hearing impaired superhero in, in a, uh, in a, in a Marvel film. It's the first, uh, openly gay romance in a, in a superhero film. It's, uh, first, first love scene in a, (laughs) in a Marvel film. It, it's a strange movie that's it's trying to do a lot. Uh succeeds at a lot, fails also. Mm-hmm. Um
1: uh, your comments after it was over was they should have done a mini series. I do <laughs> believe
0: I do believe a a miniseries would have benefited it much more than even a two and a half hour runtime. Mm-hmm. There are several characters, uh I'll give the briefest of brief overviews of my understanding of the characters before we went in. Finish my thoughts on the movie and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. But I, I read uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, Eternals miniseries from 2007 or 2004. Uh, years ago on Marvel Unlimited actually did a uh, did an episode on catching up with Marvel about it, I do believe. Um, but very interesting concept of superheroes that are also like the Greek gods uh, and, and heroes that we're aware of from ancient days. And what, what happened if they'd always been around but forgot who they were? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the movie uses a lot of the basics of, of these superheroes but changes a ton more even if you're a fan of the comic book characters you're probably not going to fully understand what's going on in the movie because they tell their own story which is kind of neat and at the same time as a as a watcher i have no idea what's going on minute to minute until it the film catches me up um it's It's a different type of superhero movie. It's a large group superhero movie. I'm trying to think of all the leads, and I think there's a total of seven or eight characters that they're trying to cycle through in a a two-and-a-half-hour film and do them any justice, and that's very, very difficult. It's hard to do justice to three main characters in a a two-and-a-half-hour film. And I feel like they got close with two or three of the main characters. Mm And then the rest are there and they have strong points, but they never really get fleshed out. Mm -hmm. And I feel like more time with these characters would only benefit them. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that we get to see more of these characters and they get fleshed out better um, so that I can have some attachment to them. Because I think there's some promise there but it's not at least for me it's not there yet yeah i there were moments in the film where the film really 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 wants me to care about a couple of them and i'm like i, I i'm not there yet you <laughs> you haven't you haven't gotten me to that point yet it would have been extremely difficult for them to have these characters in other marvel films leading into this one mm-hmm. But it would have been nice to have that attachment going into this film in order for them to... to really pull at my heartstrings when they're in danger or when they have conflict uh, or they're... Um, they're having some sort of dilemma. Any Anything like that that would have... Driven me to feel more deeply than, well, this character's in danger. <laughs> well, this character's and and it was it was very I would say it's the most challenging Marvel movie I've seen in a while, and that was a good thing. Yeah. I am glad I saw this movie just because it's different. I am always glad for a director, producer, franchise to take a chance. And this movie did that, and I'm very grateful for it. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. This movie sets up a ton, not just for the Eternals, but our other Marvel franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say next to Iron Man 2, this is probably the biggest setup film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe's history, in that it sets up a ton. Mm -hmm. Um, tons of characters that have already been announced that they're getting their own films others that haven't been announced but most definitely will yeah and I'm intrigued to see what the future holds but we'll have to wait and find out what that is in the meantime we this week uh, just in the past seven days have watched Ghostbusters 1 and 2 oh yeah Uh, the 1984 original and the 1989 sequel Uh, and uh, got some good things got some not so great (laughs) things and we've got some some strange things and we're going to talk about that in just a moment when we get back when we talk about Ghostbusters uh, on favorite things Alright, and we're back and you can hear our toilet running in the background <laughs> okay not a ghost just our toilet um anyhow uh so over the past week we've watched both of the original ghostbusters films from 1984 1989 uh went back and did a little bit of research uh listen to some commentaries including as you'll hear me like a broken record say the kind of funny interview (laughs) um and the thing that's really interesting to me as someone who writes my uh my own stuff no it's not good but i i write some stories just for my own entertainment and uh Hearing the origins of Ghostbusters is just as interesting, if not more interesting to me, than the actual films. So Dan Aykroyd and his family have a background in paranormal research. And
1: really?
0: he is a full-on believer to the point that everyone else on the cast kind of looks at him like people in the movies look at the Ghostbusters uh-huh. before they actually bust ghosts.
1: Wow, I did
0: not know that. So, with that, and his background in comedy, he'd been a cast member in Saturday Night Live since the 70s. He had an idea for writing a uh, a movie about people who caught ghosts in the vein of the old movies like Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman and stuff like that. And... So, he started writing a treatment uh, based on this idea of ghost exterminators. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time, he pictured himself, the still alive at that point, John Belushi and Eddie Murphy being the primary cast members. Okay. Uh, All Saturday Night Live alums in this movie making it. Well, he wrote a treatment that was basically about it's in the future the Ghostbusters have been around for ages and it's a franchise and they basically go around in like flying cars and stuff and <laughs> and fight ghosts and it's the same as you would see an exterminator truck on the side of the road it's these guys doing this thing and they're and these guys are beaten down they're tired of working for the man that's their script well. They go to Ivan Reitman, who's in 1981 has made Stripes, a colossally successful comedy film. Ivan Reitman tells him, there is no way we can make this movie for less than $200 million. <laughs> and at that time, you did not spend $100 million on a film, let alone $200 million. Right. Now... Film franchises do it all the time, but at that time, especially for an unproven franchise, he's like, no, 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 no. We might be able to make a film for 20 to 30 million. He's like, we need to rewrite this, rescale it, set it entirely on Earth. Uh, there was some <laughs> extraterrestrial involvement at, at that time. Uh, the concept, actually, the bits and pieces I've heard of the original treatment sound a lot more like Men in Black. I mentioned to you earlier that my dream pairing is Ghostbusters and Men in Black. Yeah. Because I think the two overlap with each other enough I think that the comedy sci-fi elements would just work. Yeah. Um, so, Harold Ramis uh, who'd written with Ivan Reitman for Stripes comes in helps to ground the script uh, with Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd's kind of the paranormal, a little bit of the, the broad comedy. Harold Ramis comes in with a lot of the quirk of the, of the story, and they write this thing together. The whole production of the original Ghostbusters goes down in about 13 months. Wow. Um, that's from writing the script to release. Wow, uh, that's That's obscenely <laughs> fast. Uh, especially for, at the time, an extremely effects-heavy movie. And so they, they go, they cast, uh, from the time that the initial treatment's being written to the time of production, John Belushi has died, so they cast this movie. Eventually they get the cast of the film. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis... Uh, Bill Murray comes in just like Bill Murray does, kind of Uh, (laughs) semi-committal. And eventually they cast Ernie Hudson. You've got Annie Potts, Rick Moranis, Sigourney Weaver, and the rest is history. You've got a movie that defies conventions. It's a comedy, but it's also a horror movie. It's also kind of a sci-fi spectacle and you have all of this plays together remarkably well hybrid movies at that time, the 1980s they weren't common, uh, now especially with the Marvel movies, an action comedy or a sci-fi comedy, it's that's just movies now it's, it's actually hard to give a genre sorry, I needed to hydrate for a second there, um It's hard to give a genre when you're describing something, and it, it not be a mix of things. It's a dramedy. It, it's it's a drama, but it's also a comedy. So it's a dramedy. It's a horror movie, but it's also a comedy. It's a horridy. It's a. <laughs> there's there's not a a clean descriptor for a lot of them, but the movies pull it off. This one, uh, Ghostbusters 1984, in particular. It pulls off the comedy and the action and the horror, and it works. Um, Since we're talking about these movies together, 84 and 89, Ghostbusters 84, colossal success. It's made on a budget of about 20 to $30 million, brings in right around $300 million. Just shy of it. At that time, that was amazing especially considering that it brought back 10 times its budget it was made in 13 months it catapults the careers of uh Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray into the super stratosphere um everyone else kind of gets a lift from it It's, it's a rising tide that raises all boats but but the three leads are just catapulted into superstardom. Um, Bill Murray, far beyond all the others, and largely because he carries the movie. Roll around a few years, Bill Murray has gone through some, we'll call them interesting challenges in his personal life. He took a few years off of acting. Um, actually, Ghostbusters kind of bookends his break from acting. He does ghostbusters does a movie or two goes on hiatus for like three or four years comes back to scrooged and then ghostbusters too um and it's only after constant nagging so harold Ramis and dan Aykroyd love making ghostbusters super excited to make ghostbusters too Ernie Hudson is game even though his character is given next to nothing to do in both movies um, and so everyone's on board except Bill Murray Bill Murray's the holdout Bill Murray reluctantly after being kind of kind of a jerk but that's kind of his his whole thing is he's very protective of his personal life and, and stuff says sure I'll do it Um, comes in everyone is the movie is set five years later which is good it allows time for all of the characters to have gotten older and fatter Um, if you watch the two literally back to back you can see them gain about conservatively 20 to 40 pounds uh, between films Uh, there's a lot less dynamic spark in conversation it's a lot less natural um the chemistry of the first film is just not there it's still fun it is a fun movie to watch i actually grew up on ghostbusters 2 and then watched the original ghostbusters after the fact um, the second one is made much to be much more family friendly yeah. uh, a cartoon series had spun out of the movie uh, the original Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters because the name Ghostbusters was owned by Filmation uh, for a completely unrelated project and so their, the TV show based on the movie was the real Ghostbusters <laughs> so a lot of the stuff that had occurred in that cartoon got cycled into ghostbusters too uh the green spud from ghostbusters was now named slimer uh and he's more of a pet than he is a a hindrance you've got uh annie potts's hair is changed to be a bright red to reflect the cartoon uh you've got uh everyone is toned to be more like the cartoon. And it plays like a big screen cartoon. Yeah. Um, And as an extension of the cartoon, it kind of works as a sequel to this weird hybrid comedy action horror movie. It's, It's not as effective. And... Taken as a one-two punch, if you understand that Ghostbusters 2 is just, hey, it's more Ghostbusters. It's entirely it it works. If you're expecting something anywhere near the quality of the original Ghostbusters, you're gonna be let down every time. If you've only ever seen the original Ghostbusters and you're curious about two, understand you're gonna get a lesser product. I think you'll it's setting still fun. Yes, it's fun. It's a fun movie. I would put it up against a lot of sci-fi action movies.
1: Yeah.
0: That's it. It's not great. <laughs> and and I would debate whether it's good or not. I if you enjoy it, enjoy it. I I enjoy it. Yeah. But it's not the original movie I would argue is right on the verge of being considered an American classic. It's right on the verge. Uh, you could tip it in or out for me, depending on the day. Yeah. But there is a there is an undeniable chemistry between the three leads in the original. Yeah. Two, it it works, but barely. <laughs> and uh, and the franchise of Ghostbusters it's kind of that story that goes through and I remember as a kid loving Ghostbusters we got a tub of toys from a, an old family friend uh, most of them are based on the on the cartoon not the movie but between the cartoon the two movies uh, toys you know I was I was all in on ghostbusters as a as a kid in, in the same way that you're all in on anything right. We had a toy proton pack, and there, there's all sorts of fun to be had, especially when you're a child that... When I think of the primary emotion of my childhood, it's fear. Yeah. And afraid of ghosts becomes a lesser thing when there's a way to fight the ghosts. Yeah. And if there's if there's a monster under your bed, but the movie is about how you fight and catch the monsters under your bed that's an intriguing concept yeah and so it's it's fun it's neat it's it's very different than modern horror is all about how you can't help yourself you're you are you're going to survive and that's the best you can do well no the the ghostbusters do this for profit it's not just surviving but we're gonna make money off of this yeah And I, I find the movies very interesting. We'll break down the movies here in, in just a second. But I'm very interested here in two weeks. Next week we're going to talk about the, the remake from 2016. Uh, remake slash reboot. And then we're going to talk about uh, Afterlife the week after that. And I'm very interested as, as we talk about those to talk about the legacy of Ghostbusters, because the legacy of Ghostbusters for me is the legacy of an idea, and it's it's this idea that still, since the original, has never found that same footing that the original found. And there's a, I was talking earlier about how Ghostbusters and Men in Black, my my dream idea is the two of them to marry into kind of a twin franchise. They have a similar project. Uh, a trajectory yeah so the original is a comedy uh action hybrid comedy action horror hybrid sequel that is largely considered a, a huge flaw and a mistake to have done five years after the original a few years after that another attempt is made for ghostbusters it's a video game for men in black it's men in black 3 as far as anyone's concerned after that point the franchise is done. Then a fourth iteration comes out. For Ghostbusters, it's a reboot um, that is largely panned for um, a number of reasons. Everything from good reasons, like it's it's not really a Ghostbusters movie. It's it's really a sequel to Bridesmaids. To really bad reasons, and that's basically because. People really don't like women being the leads in movies. Um, all the way over to Men in Black International, which is, it's, it's blasted because it has none of the chemistry that Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Will Smith shared over the first three movies. Yeah. And so you have these movies that have a very similar trajectory. They're franchises both owned by Sony Pictures that can't seem to catch a break. And can't catch that lightning in the bottle of the original, and I think it's fascinating that Sony keeps trying, yeah. and and it, it's undeniable that they've got an idea, they've got a great idea, and yeah. in, in both cases, and we'll talk we'll talk more about the movies proper here in a second, but just that idea of. I've got this great thing. All right, we did it. Can we do it again and do it better? And they might not be able to. I, Looking at Ghostbusters Afterlife, with the long history of Ghostbusters projects up till now, my expectations are actually pretty low. Okay. They're low because... I don't think this movie can be a great Ghostbusters movie Mm -mm. because I think Ghostbusters is a great Ghostbusters movie and the rest are are decent. Yeah. But, and this is the key to my enjoyment of the 2016 film, because, and I'm going to say this on the record, I enjoy the 2016 film. I enjoy it because it's a funny movie about funny women Fighting ghosts. Yeah. I don't enjoy it as a Ghostbusters movie. I enjoy it as a funny comedy.
1: Okay.
0: I'm looking forward to this movie because it looks like Stranger Things in the Ghostbusters universe.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you first showed me the preview for it, I had no idea we were watching. You didn't tell me it was a Ghostbusters preview, and I apparently don't read what's mm-hmm. being put on before me until I'm on, like, "What?" And I thought you were. Doing a preview for the next Stranger Things. Uh-huh. is isn't one of the characters in there from Stranger Finn, Things? Finn so, Wolfhard
0: yeah. is from Stranger so
1: Things. So there's that and then just the way it's going, and I'm like, oh, a new Stranger Things and everything. Then all of a sudden, it goes into like the Ghostbusters and I'm like, holy cow. Yes. <laughs> this is gonna be great. So I'm my really my
0: hopes for this film are are to view it through that lens. Uh mm-hmm. this is a this is a kid supernatural action movie that just happens to co-star Paul Rudd. But it's, the problem with Ghostbusters 2 to Ghostbusters 1 is it's trying so hard to be Ghostbusters. And it can't hit it. It's trying so hard. And I was sitting there, I went and I read some old reviews, and a lot of them kind of hit the nail on the head, and it's, the magic's not there. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's trying so hard to be the original thing. And a lot of fans, when they watch anything Ghostbusters related, are hoping for that original magic. Yeah. You're not going to get it. Don't expect it. Expect instead something different. Yeah. And I think if you're expecting something different, you might get something great. <laughs> in, in much the same way that both the Ghostbusters video game picks and chooses what it wants of Ghostbusters and makes, honestly, a third-person shooter. Mm-hmm. And it's enjoyable because it's a good video game.
1: Yeah.
0: And Men in Black tells a time travel story where they take out one of the integral pieces and make Josh Brolin do his best Tommy Lee Jones impression <laughs> and tells a, a funny fish out of water time travel story I think if you can leave just enough in to leave that Ghostbusters label on it but tell your own story I, magic. I think you might you might not get the magic but you might get a magic yeah and so I'm really looking forward to that Guys, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about Ghostbusters One. We're gonna talk about what works, uh, what doesn't translate as well from 1984 to 2021, (laughs) and we're gonna we're gonna briefly talk about uh, Ghostbusters Two after that. But first, a word from our sound bank. And we're back Um, instead of going beat by beat plot point by plot point uh, comedies don't really translate well to plot breakdowns Uh, I'll give you the briefest of overviews of this movie basically you've got three scientists who explore paranormal Uh, they uh, discover that they might be able to make money off of it go into business for themselves fight ghosts in the process meet a woman who lives in a haunted apartment (laughs) Uh, take her on as a client, fight more ghosts. She's possessed. Uh, along with her neighbor down the hallway are possessed. Uh, they proceed to fight a greater uh, supernatural entity before saving the day and New York City. Yep. That's the movie. That is the plot <laughs> of this movie. Everything else in the in-between is Fantastically written improv and dialogue, and uh, very much a movie of the 1980s. Yeah. So uh, I really, really, really enjoyed revisiting this movie. Mm-hmm. The only thing that stands out in 2021 is the Peter Venkman character as this scummy womanizer. Bill Murray
1: oh Bill Murray yeah
0: so his his character in the beginning of the movie is torturing a grad student uh, while trying to get another grad student into bed yeah Uh, and then after that he proceeds to creepily pursue Sigourney Weaver uh, and eventually he wears her down to the point where she kisses him yeah and uh, well it's again it's a product of the times and this is how there are entire books from the 70s 80s 90s and even early 2000s way too far into the 2000s that talk about how you can manipulate women into bed mm-hmm. and and women are objects and their whole role is to be your sexual gratification. Yeah. And it doesn't really sit well with a 2021 audience. Yeah. Um, once you're able to get over that hurdle, you're in for a really good time. Understanding it's 1984. It doesn't make it okay. It's just... It's what was. Get into the movie proper. And you get really good dynamics in this film. Uh, The fact that Harold Ramis plays Egon as the straight man the entire time. And he's completely clueless. (laughs) Like, Janine is hitting on him and he does not pick up on it. Uh, The fact that... For the most part, Dan Aykroyd plays Ray as the genuine believer, kind of the heart and soul of the team. Uh, And then you've got Bill Murray, who is the lovable goofball, but he's also the anchor of the movie. Without him, the movie doesn't work. Take that character out. The movie doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Winston comes in and he's a character that really should have come in earlier in the movie (laughs) because he comes in as a temp. Is there a day the Gozer incident happens and that's the end of the movie? Yeah. Like he is Ernie, uh, Ernie Hudson. Sure i'm saying the right name uh is a glorified cameo in this movie and the next movie uh he's got more screen time in ghostbusters 2 but in the first movie he shows up goes through a job interview says yeah i'll work for you uh goes on a ride with ray comes back in time to go fight gozer and then leave his whole role is I'm the guy who's not caught up in the the dialogue of this, and so I'm going to put this into English. <laughs> and so he fills a role that a more rounded version of Peter Bankman might have been where he says, "All right, I'll put this into English for you." Yeah. So, it He's a character that I don't think they should have done away with. I think they should have filled him out more. Yeah. Over, over the two movies. Uh, I really enjoy this movie. Yeah. Just it's the... It's a lot of fun. Their improv moments galore. When they go... at Before they're actual Ghostbusters. When they're just investigating the paranormal. And they go to the library. Uh, and they go in and... Dan Aykroyd says, "Quiet! You smell that?" <laughs> or no, listen. listen you, smell you smell that? that yeah. Uh, it's this perfect moment, and if you watch Bill Murray, Bill Murray looks around and then starts sniffing. Yeah, like wait,
1: What do you say? Okay. Let me they
0: they play off each other so well the whole movie. Then they bring in Walter Peck. Um, as the antagonist from the EPA um, who's doing his job. Now he's a jerk, but he's doing his job. And yeah, they're walking around with unlicensed nuclear accelerators on their back (laughs) and they're putting God knows what in this centrally located storage facility. And he's, Genuinely, yeah, the government would have concerns. It's yeah. it's not okay to walk around with toxic waste in in your basement. I don't know how many of you kids alive today will know this, but mid to late '80s and early '90s, toxic waste a big deal. Like <laughs> uh, companies that would just dump barrels of this stuff, it was it was kind of a big deal. And so, if guys are hoarding this stuff in the middle of New York City, it's kind of a big deal. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and this guy is played as the bad guy and I understand why you need to have him it gives some conflict that uh, pun intended actually has bones <laughs> um, but it it gives a it gives an antagonist that you can actually argue with and see and hear and understand whereas if are you seeing something on my phone or it's okay sometimes so opening the curtain for you the listener sometimes betsy will be sitting across from me and she'll start staring at something or she'll give a motion or a non-motion and i don't know what's going on with her And so if I ever stutter or stop, I'm waiting (laughs) for her to step in and say what she means to say, but she just, she gives a look and doesn't say anything. And so. Sorry,
1: something caught my eye that I was just trying to figure out if I was seeing it right. That's
0: all. I am. It's okay. (laughs) Sorry. Anyhow, we're not a well put together podcast. It's fine. It's better that we have these wrecks because it makes for a better (laughs) podcast anyhow no, I I enjoy this movie I enjoy how 1980s it is this is a movie that couldn't be made at any other time and work the way it does and then we we get to the moments of horror and this is where Sigourney Weaver gives so much weight to this movie Sigourney Weaver gives a performance that feels like it could have come from Alien or Aliens, both of which kind of bookend her her Ghostbusters time in 1979 and 1986. Um, She has so much weight in the scenes where she is supposed to be scared or she is being victimized. But then... When she is possessed, <laughs> she completely turns it on a dime. Yeah. And she's able to play both of those in a way that I believe it. When she is just Dana, I believe that she is a young professional woman in New York City who's trying to make it as a professional cello, cello player in a Philharmonic. When she is possessed, I believe she has the devil
1: Yes,
0: <laughs> and she sells it, and uh, so the going back to the problematic Peter as a as a womanizer or attempted womanizer, um, it is really weird when he visits her possessed. She floats in the air, in, in our big ooh-ah scene, yeah. we pan over to the guys who are who are doing research, and Peter calls. And he's like, yeah, I just knocked her up with this, this drug. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so let's pump the brakes. You are not a psychiatrist. You are not a medical doctor. You're giving her you are a parapsychologist. You are not licensed to be walking around with medication.
1: So he roofied her.
0: He roofied her. <laughs> Why was he going to a date, mind you? He was not going to a possessed person's house. Right, he, was, he was going on a date. Why was he carrying a knockout drug? Yep. Cringe. And moving on. Yeah,
1: yeah she came on to him, and he was the gentleman. like, nope. Uh. So was that because she was possessed and he didn't want to be
0: possessed? I. There's a line he gives that's a fantastic improv line and and she it's a line that flies over your head as a kid and as an adult you go, oh well, she goes, I want you inside me. Yeah. And and he has this great comeback of Oh no, I think you've got at least two too many people in there yeah. already. Yeah. and she starts coming on to him and he goes oh okay no no I couldn't and it's this moment that he he breaks and it's again it's great improv this movie is fantastically improv um, all the way down to at the end of the movie they're facing off with Gozer the, the central antagonist who's in the movie for three minutes <laughs> and Gozer asks are you a god and Ray says no and then gets zapped and Winston says Ray if someone asks you if you're a god you say yes! (laughs) Uh, The movie's full of great moments Uh, fun trivia at the end of the movie when they blow up the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man who is a hybrid of the Pillsbury Doughboy and the Michelin Man Yeah. Um, they're going to drop all of the mushroom of uh, mushroom marshmallow on the Walter Peck character. And the Hector says, um, Hey guys, so you're going to drop this on me. And they go, yeah. And he goes, okay, how much is that weigh?" And they go, Oh, 80 pounds. And he goes, I, I, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. And they go, well, it's just marshmallows. And he goes, you know, the, what they say about, dropping 80 pounds of iron or 80 pounds of feathers, you're still dropping 80 pounds. It's true. They brought in a stunt man, tried it out, and it plastered him, just <laughs> <laughs> Guy recovered, but still. <laughs> he goes, so they cut it down significantly. I gripped my teeth and took took the pain. Goodness. Yeah,
1: it's like being on Weight Watchers, everyone's like, they're like, oh, I started working out and I gained weight Going, well muscle weighs more than fat truth is no it doesn't it's...
0: M- <laughs> muscle is muscle is denser than fat but
1: a pound is a pound no matter what yes and so that's what people don't understand something like you have a pound of feathers or a pound of fat yeah there's... It's, they're gonna weigh a pound you might have a bigger you might mortality.
0: have more <laughs> Yeah, you might have more drag on it but it still weighs yeah it's still 80 pounds but, um yeah so I, I find the there are two or three terrifying moments in this movie that still I'm glad I watch movies with lights on and not <laughs> lights off. Uh, the moment where uh, Dana comes home after setting a date with Peter and gets grabbed and hauled into. Her closet oh, by multiple arms coming out of the chair and grabbing her and and yeah. sp- it just grabs her face and all over and as she's pulled into a door of light that's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, the the scene in uh, the library with the ghosts, <laughs> uh, the gray lady. Yeah. Uh, that's imagining being in a dark dank library and seeing an apparition and then the apparition turns into something entirely different <laughs> that that's scary yeah. um when the sc- when the sky turns black and the spirits are flying around and everything it, the movie's effective there's there's something I remember about the 1980s and films from that era being... I'm trying to think of the word. I, I don't know about if it's brave or experimental or everyone was doing so much cocaine that <laughs> just the, the ordinary, hey, maybe we shouldn't try this, w- wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But there is so much... Children's movies were darker and even comedies and action movies of the time got so much more imaginative that everything that came after... The mid 90s feels like it's playing it so safe um i remember changing tracks but bear with me i'll i'll bring this into into harbor i remember going and seeing the 2005 batman begins in theaters and i walked away and my friends were so excited by it and they enjoyed it so much and in hindsight i enjoy it for what it is yeah i remember walking out so disappointed And I was disappointed, not because it was a bad movie, I was disappointed because it was so grounded. And it was so based in some form of reality. Heightened reality, but the 1989 Batman, 1992 Batman, even the two Joel Schumacher sequels that people hate, they were so fantastical and built their own rules that it didn't matter that it wasn't real. It was its own thing. Yeah. And we enjoyed it in the same way that Ghostbusters is its own thing. No, there's no way that these guys would be allowed to open any sort of business, let alone one that had nuclear power <laughs> in it in yeah. the middle of New York City. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Right. And then in the sequel, not only are they allowed to still own their business, but they're able to have their equipment still we'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes but it's a fantastical world that I don't know movies today are getting a little bit better about being fantastical than they have for the past 20-25 years but I feel there's still this fear of well what if the audience doesn't believe it if you make them believe
1: it. You do it right.
0: The, the rule of any good storytelling is if you don't believe it in the telling, they won't believe right. it in the listening. Right. You have to make yourself believe. Yeah. And Ghostbusters made me believe that they were ghosts, and it made me believe we could fight ghosts. Yeah. As an adult, are there ghosts? Are there not not gonna have that debate
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> but at least in film i'm all in
1: yeah all
0: right we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we're gonna talk about the 1989 uh critical flop uh ghostbusters 2 to Ghostbusters 2 uh, 1989 this was my first exposure to live action Ghostbusters I'd watched the cartoon as a kid it was a Saturday morning cartoon from 1986 in some form or fashion into the late 90s there was the real Ghostbusters uh, the new adventures of the real Ghostbusters and then extreme Ghostbusters which was a sequel series Um, and so I grew up with the Ghostbusters being a thing. watched the movie in 1989 uh, when it came out on HBO. Um, watched it over and over and over again before watching the original. And as a kid, again, men fi- fighting ghosts. It's um, I found... As a child, Vigo the Carpathian—just terrifying. This painting that um, that came to life, that housed an evil being. Yeah, um, was pretty
1: creepy the first time they show.
0: <laughs> so, what's wild about that to me is when Ghostbusters Two works, it's when it's using stuff just like in the original Ghostbusters, that it's the stuff that creeps you out or or makes you laugh. Uh, The moments in the original Ghostbusters that make you laugh are those moments with friends where you say something stupid and they call you on it. Uh, The moment where something dings behind you and there's no reason that it should. Uh, In this, it's paintings that follow you with their eyes. Uh, Typically, it's an optical illusion. But when you're in a dark room and a painting seems to be following you with its (laughs) eyes, that's horrifying. Yeah. And this kind of takes it to the extreme of what if the painting was alive? And then throughout the movie, it's uh, the first part of the movie is the Ghostbusters kind of being on the outs. After the events of the first movie, apparently they were put under a restraining order and not allowed. they
1: sued by like every major thing in New York So
0: Winston says early on he's like every city, state, county uh, organization in New York uh, <laughs> sued us after that. <laughs> and so what's really interesting about that is they're able to walk around with the proton packs to like kids birthday parties that they're putting on. And it's it's weird. Uh, we do get a cute cameo from Jason Reitman, who's directing Ghostbusters Afterlife in Ghostbusters 2's birthday scene. He's the one who says that the Ghostbusters are full of crap. Um, so, Ghostbusters 2, after watching the original, is weird to me because it reminded me a great deal of when you've got a good friend and he talks one way around you but another way when he's around kids. Um the the first movie was not shy about using that PG for language and this one they very much stray away from as as much language as they can. Yeah. Um and it it felt you could feel the constraint of it. It's this is a movie that is more tailored towards kids. There's still some scary imagery in this movie, make no mistake. Right. But it's it's made for 9, 10, 11 12, 13 year old boys it's it's not made for people who want to go see a movie and Ghostbusters 2 I feel like is more of a product than a movie and there are moments where there's wonderful wonderful writing and storytelling coming out uh, Dana goes to visit Egon to catch up and and let him know about the fact that her baby with another man we're, we never meet him uh, so she just got
1: divorced?
0: yes uh, was, her baby was by the supernatural forces uh, attempted to be taken she goes to Egon Egon is talking to her mentions uh, Peter vankman Bill Murray and she goes, Does he ever talk about me? And Egon turns around, looks at her. He's been doing research on negative reinforcement and how it affects people, and goes, No. And then scans her. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this it's this great bit of storytelling that in that moment, Egon is all about getting results, and while he's gonna help his friend, he's not gonna necessarily tell her the truth. Yeah. Um there's There's little, little, again, little moments that make things better. The relationship between Dana and Peter is an actual relationship. That's the best part of Bill Murray's performance is when he's interacting with Sigourney Weaver. Um, It's the most believable part of the movie from his standpoint. Uh, Most of the other stuff feels very cartoony it's it's almost there uh, something I noticed this time that I hadn't noticed before um, that was pointed out again on the kind of funny in review podcast um, is the music so in the first movie Elmer Bernstein who done tons and tons of great classic movie scores including Magnificent Seven if I'm not mistaken uh, writes this ominous score that kind of sits under the surface and then occasionally there are these moments of levity in the music but not often this movie comes around and Randy Edelman takes over and this movie score feels more like the score for a 1980's buddy comedy rather than a sequel to Ghostbusters and so themes from the first movie are kind of lost. The hero theme in this movie is so bland that it doesn't really generate any emotion for those moments. Um, and again, it's it's missing. Yeah. You don't realize it's missing until someone points out, "Hey, you remember in the first movie how great the music was and how much it set the tone?" And you're like, "That's right."
1: So, yeah, I didn't notice that. So now I'm like, I want to go back and watch both of those again to see, see the difference. Because you said, I'm like, I, I didn't notice that. But usually I don't necessarily notice the music too much. I know it's there and it helps the, well, the other,
0: movies. Well, the other so. thing about this movie is there's a ton more uh, uh, placed music. Uh, Bobby Brown's uh, On Our Own. There's, there's several placed Tracks in this one that weren't in the original. Uh, in the original, there was an intro- instrumental soundtrack and then a couple of in world songs. And this one, it, again, it felt like a product. It, it felt very similar to a lot of the big blockbusters we see now, where you've seen the billboards for everything and there's the song for it and there's the action figures and there's, and even in the even in the movie when they do a new Ghostbusters commercial and it, we're doing half price specials and we're going to give you a mug and balloons for the kids. Yeah. And that's what this movie feels like. It feels like a product. It, it feels like they're selling me a toy. Yeah. And it's a fun toy. It's a really cool toy. But at the end of it, I go, well, I'm a little sad now. <laughs> Uh, and whereas at the end of the original Ghostbusters everything kind of sums up over the credits before fading into the black of the final credits this one does a weird montage of all the characters and then shows the Ghostbusters getting the key to the city and it doesn't even dwell on it it helicopters over like this is all the footage we could get of it and then goes away I don't
1: remember
0: that. We watched it last night. Yep. It's okay. <laughs> uh, moments I do love in this movie. I love when they make the Statue of Liberty walk. Uh, yeah, that was really cool. I I wish that they had had a separate song for as much sourced music as as this has. Uh, they use Jackie Wilson's "Your Love" or "Higher and Higher," depending on which title it's using. Mm-hmm. They use it way too much.
1: <laughs>
0: like, they they start the walk from Liberty Island with it playing, and it is still playing when they get to Midtown.
1: Yeah. And she's walking really slowly.
0: Yeah. They're using a cassette player, which has 60 minutes of music, which tells me that they've got either a 60-minute version of that song, or, or they've got back-to-back-to-back Version, they bought the single of of Jackie Wilson's <laughs> Higher and Higher. Um, and it's the same song that they used to experiment on the toaster earlier in the yeah. movie. And I, I was just... I wanted them to have a different upbeat song. Even just changing the song choice would make it feel less repetitive.
1: Yeah.
0: But... There's all sorts of fun things in this movie. Annie Potts seems to be having the time of her life <laughs> playing a completely different character than the first movie, but mm-hmm. yeah. I I wish mm-hmm. she had I wish she had been Janine's sister or something, because the way she's acting in this movie compared to the last <coughs> excuse me is so different in the first movie she's the sassy secretary yeah and she's a little ditzy but she's kind of what's the word I'm looking for she knows what it's like to be a receptionist at at a major organization at one point Peter makes a crack about hey you'd be fine suited in the food service or (laughs) uh, or hospitality industry and she says I've quit better jobs than this yeah and then picks up the phone and Ghostbusters. What do you want?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And and there's tons of sass and 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 just personality behind that. And this she's just there to answer the phone and seduce Tully, uh, Rick Moranis, yeah. who is great in both of these movies. Yeah. But in this one, it just feels like her entire role was to be the attractive. A uh, woman who seduces Rick Moranis. Yeah. Um. And it, it was missing something. Again, this this movie is is kind of a shadow of, of the second one. It's a good shadow, but it's yeah. it's a shadow. So
1: Rick Moranis, we haven't talked about
0: him. No. What? Do we... So
1: my thought was, could this. And Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, because that was the first thing I ever saw him in. I did not see Ghostbusters until...
0: Ghostbusters 2 and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came out same year.
1: Same year. Okay. I was trying to figure out, because I I remember I was about nine years old, I guess, when I saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh Uh-huh. It was our first PG movie. Like My parents were very nervous about...
0: (laughs) You were were very sheltered (laughs) growing up.
1: But it became a family favorite. I I saw my first
0: R-rated movie Uh, before I could ride a bike.
1: Um... Anyway, I was just curious about that, how he was between, you know, because he looks so much younger, mm-hmm. even in Ghostbusters 2, than he does in Tony the because I know it's how they dress him up, between just being a bachelor versus yeah. a dad of teenagers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Well, it, it also goes to performance. In yeah. Ghostbusters, both 1 and 2... He is playing a stereotypical nerd. His yeah. hair is gelled back, just plastered yeah. to his head like a helmet. Yeah. He's wearing thick Coke bottle glasses. And he's... He's he's talking from his nose. He's up here the whole time. yeah. And he's so... So he's just... He's very stereotypical nerdy. And he's just... Uh, the, the fact that any woman ever might find him sexually attractive is just... Who could possibly find <laughs> this guy attractive? And... When you watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, you're seeing more of the real Rick Moran. Yes. Yeah. which is this guy who talks with actual ebb and flow to his speech. He has personality. And even when he's a nerdy inventor, everything kind of stays right here. Yeah. And uh, it's, again, it's it's this very different experience but yeah. between the two movies that can come out right around each other yeah. so right. Sorry,
1: that was a oh afar, it's it was... it's fine
0: Rick Moranis is fantastic in these movies yeah, and I am if he's in Afterlife I will be surprised <laughs> uh, I would love it but
1: he's retired hasn't he So he by, his wife passed away by and
0: large Rick Moranis has retired from acting since his wife passed most roles that he does are voice roles only um, he does them from his recording studio at home in the 90s his wife died and uh, I want to say his last on film role is Honey We Shrunk Ourselves in 1998 um, and that was filmed sometime before that yeah. and when his wife died he stepped away from acting to be a full time dad effectively um, he does recording sessions. He does a lot of music. Um, does some voiceover stuff. But only recently has he popped out, uh, and I think it's since his his daughters have actually left the house that he goes out in public and does stuff. Uh, I remember last year he got punched by somebody, oh, and someone was like, "Let's put a bounty on their head." And Rick Branus was like, "No, no, no. The cops will take care of it." Um, He's like
1: a down to earth like real guy he's
0: not a he's he is a human person and acts like a human person no i this horse is is dead and beaten at this point but ghostbusters 2 is good if if i can tell people how to watch him it's when you're younger watch ghostbusters 2 yeah after that watch ghostbusters (laughs) one and then remind yourself what Ghostbusters 2 was like and then maybe be done with Ghostbusters 2 <laughs> um, they're, it's interesting they're, they're fun movies back to back it's it's a fun watch it's a great around Halloween watch um, we're not horror movie people in that we don't love to have our, our socks scared off I enjoy a good thriller I, I'm not a big slasher guy Um, But stuff like this, stuff where it's the supernatural and it's got horror elements, I really enjoy it because it plays around in that world without being so ominous and foreboding that I can't sleep for three days.
1: Yeah.
0: And so both of these movies are really good. Um, The side projects that have come out, the Ghostbusters uh, cartoon, I remember it being fun as a child. I don't know if it would hold up today at all. Um, this morning I was actually playing the Ghostbusters video game which is the closest we will ever ever get to the planned Ghostbusters 3 that they've been planning since the 90s Um, so I'll touch very briefly on on the plan the game and then I'll set us up for next week Uh, the plan originally was Ghostbusters 2 did not make as much money as the original Ghostbusters but was still financially successful they wanted to make ghostbusters three the only way they could do that if was if bill murray was on board and he was very much not on board it was like pulling teeth to get him to make ghostbusters two dan Aykroyd and bill murray had a treatment that they wrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote every few years uh until uh Harold Ramis died um and they just never got it made so in the mid 2000s around 2000 between 2006 and 2008 uh Atari uh, then still making video games regularly uh got the Ghostbusters license And they were going to make a game based on the movies. Not a movie adaptation, but basically a sequel to the movies. And they were going to get all of the actors they could. They were going to get uh, everything scanned in to be, at the time, as photorealistic as you could get with Unreal 3 technology. And... The game, they just recently released an updated 4K compatible version of the game. Um, but the game still holds up. It's a third-person shooter. You play a new recruit who's there for the for the Ghostbusters. And the plot follows. There's a new group of uh, ne'er-do-wells who are trying to bring forth the apocalypse. It takes place in 1991, so all the characters can look like they did back in the old movies. And... Uh, the plot of the game is you trying to deal with ghosts just the same as as the the baseline skeleton of a plot that carried you through Ghostbusters 1 and 2. And there's fun little back and forth that was written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. They actually wrote the script for it, and it's the closest thing we will ever get to an honest-to-goodness Ghostbusters 3. Um, it's the last time that the four actors... Played those characters, and everyone's there. Uh, Annie Potts is there. Uh, Ernie Hudson, Uh, Bill Murray is there. Uh, They've got Dan Aykroyd. It, they've got the full cast, and it feels like Ghostbusters. They've got the music from the original film, which I won't lie because there's it's only an hour and forty minute film. Uh, Both movies you can watch back to back, and it's just over three hours. Yeah. And the because they're using the music from the first film, and it's easily an eight to twelve hour game. That music gets old fast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still fun. You feel like you're in a Ghostbusters movie, and so as far as this bit of Ghostbusters. Lore, up until the advertisement that Ghostbusters Afterlife was an honest to goodness sequel everyone thought it was done uh, they made the Ghostbusters remake in 2016 uh, by different directors starring different actors uh, cameos of the original actors in completely different roles as far as anyone was concerned that they might remake it they might do their own thing but they're not going to go back until Afterlife. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that in two weeks. And I look forward to it. And I'm hoping, like I said at the beginning of the show, that it's its own thing. With Ghostbusters on it, but it's not yeah. Ghostbusters and a little bit of its own thing. I hope it's its own thing with a little bit of Ghostbusters.
1: I'm super excited
0: about it. I'm looking forward to it. I love uh, Finn Wolfhard. I love uh Santa Grace. Um, and I love Paul Rudd. And I love Carrie Coon. All of those actors and actresses are phenomenal performers. Yeah. I know nothing of Jason Reitman's uh, filmography. I I have not delved that deeply. Um, But I know that the actors that they have pulled in and the effects houses that they have pulled in are going to make for a decent movie. And I'm looking forward to that. I think that's all we've got for Ghostbusters 1 and 2 this week. Uh... We've rambled on and on and on.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm excited about rewatching the.
0: I'm excited to watch 2016 yeah. over again, just because, again, not viewing it as a Ghostbusters sequel, yeah. but knowing it's, it's a Ghostbusters branded thing. Yeah,
1: and it's been a few years since we watched it, and I remember absolutely loving it when we did watch it so i'm excited to watch
0: it again i'm excited to watch it
1: especially since i don't remember movies so (laughs) it'll be like watching it for the first time
0: i'm excited to watch it i'm excited to consider it not as a part of ghostbusters canon but hey which of these would i rather watch yeah um and we'll see where it rates at least just a baseline would you rather watch this or, or ghostbusters 1984 again and we'll see i don't know uh None of these is top 10 movies for me, uh, but they're fun. Yeah. So, uh, guys, we'll be back next week to talk about the 2016 film Ghostbusters. Uh, Answer the Call is the subtitle that it sometimes has on video boxes. Sometimes (laughs) it doesn't. Uh, But I'm looking forward to it. Guys, if you've not enjoyed this podcast, don't listen to us just because you feel some sense of obligation there's ton of tons of great content out there be it video music movies video games just and stuff that you might create your own have fun enjoy your favorite things and don't let people who disagree with you ruin your fun All right. That's all this time we've got for this week. We'll be back next week with more favorite things.
1: Bye.